Well, welcome to uh, Roundtable Live with Chris Cassern. And this week we are talking about uh, General Synod and the momentous decision this week to approve uh, blessing same-sex relationships. Uh, this is to bless same-sex relationships. And I'm delighted to be welcomed today uh, by two uh, courageous and bold and outspoken lay members of General Synod. First of all, our very own Ben John um, from Chris Cassern. And secondly, Sam Margrave, um, who has been very outspoken on this whole subject. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Nice to see you. And Sam as well. And thank you for all that you've been doing and saying um, in this last week in Synod. How was Synod for you uh, in a a nutshell? I'll start with you, Ben. What what was your take on Synod initially in a nutshell? uh, it was quite heavy. It was a very, it was, it was a heavy week. It was maybe how I'd maybe just summarize it. Um, yeah, I came away feeling just quite, uh, yeah, emotionally, spiritually, physically drained uh, by the end. I mean, the debate was only um, Thursday and Friday, but um, I think generally there was a perception that that was what the whole week was working up to, um, mm. and then the debate. Um, and yeah, very sad um, and yeah, devastated by the result yeah sure yeah we'll come back and discuss that a bit more sam what about what about your initial take on how well, it was a, you? I, I mean it was awful i mean it you know, people think that you go to general synod for a bit of a jolly away but it was no package holiday it was it was a a really terrible time uh there was a, a real culture of fear and silencing people and the bishops were there to listen uh but they don't they didn't not only not hear what we had to say but they weren't prepared to allow uh, people to put new ideas forward. They wanted to get through their plan, no matter what, as a lot of their political activists say, by any means necessary. Wow. Yeah. So, and in terms of, you know, the week, um, Ben, um, a highlight for you presumably was your speech, was it, which actually went viral on social media, I think, you know, in terms of the passion that you expressed there. Perhaps we can just play, um, your speech, your your speech um, in trying to persuade people to hold on to orthodox, traditional, biblical sexual morality. And let's just play that speech if we can, and we'll come back to Ben again after that. Ben John, St. Albans, 395. What our world needs, whether they know it or not, is the gospel. They need the saviour, Jesus Christ. Don't we all? The Jesus who washes, sanctifies, and justifies us. The hope, the gospel for all of us, whatever our struggles and sins and temptations, is that in Christ we are forgiven and that our sins and desires no longer define us. As Paul says, such were some of you. We do not need to hold on to sinful identities and behaviors. We have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We have been given a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. These proposals are wrong. They say that Jesus doesn't wash and sanctify you. That you do not need to take up your cross and follow him that there is no call to holiness, that the truth does not set you free. But love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love calls people out of sin and to Christ, 
snatching them out of the fire with discipline so that their spirits might be saved. Please, bishops, I plead with you, withdraw the proposals and prayers. Turn from this path that you are on. Fear God, not man. Be the shepherds that God is calling you to be. Protect the sheep entrusted into your care by driving out this teaching that perverts the grace of God into a license for immorality. This teaching that tickles our ears to suit our desires. A teaching that leads to the broad road and not the narrow one. It's not too late. Turn to the beautiful, wonderful, glorious gospel. Why make ourselves like the world when we have the one thing that the world needs? The gospel of Jesus Christ where we receive our true identities as precious daughters and treasured sons of God. Amen. Ben, fantastic impassioned speech there. I noticed at the end there, neither of the archbishops were clapping um, in the applause at the end there. How did you find, I mean, obviously I know as well that thousands of people have now watched this speech um, on social media, online and things. How did you find the reaction to that speech when, when you gave it and subsequently to that? Um, yeah, well, I guess I'm just uh, thankful to God and yeah, his grace, um, you know, it's a privilege to be a part of his purposes and trying to, trying to be faithful, uh, trying to contend um, even in our own weakness and mistakes. God can still use our very flawed speeches to um, convict and hopefully inspire um, as well. Um, I guess the response, I, I, I guess my thinking was, if I believe the powers in the word and in the gospel, then I'll try and just lead with that. Um, I didn't really get a sense that, and that there've been so many amazing speeches over the debate. So, um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, there's many that should and could go viral and much better than mine, but um, uh, I guess uh, realizing the seriousness of what the bishops are doing and have done now um, requires um, a serious plea to them not to do this, um, to turn away from the path that they're on. We shouldn't, uh, I think they're at a point where they're now explicitly and you know people have said or oh, haven't the red lines been crossed in the past and for myself i think a red line had been passed and crossed in the past but this in particular is very explicit jump and a very explicit change that uh really the bishops are in in serious error and unrepentant error um and it was a really a kind of final plea for them not to go down this path that that would be what holds it together um i've been really encouraged so much and humbled by the feedback i i it's particularly i think it's been encouraging that people realize that there are um evangelicals on orthodox bible believing christians on on synod um speaking because i think many just think the church of england completely lost and you know uh, 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 i think the teaching from the bishops is lost but um uh, I think it has been encouraging to mobilize people to be to be inspired and to be to be able to stand and be courageous. Um, despite what people think, I don't particularly love confrontation or love uh, uh, that. Um, but I think sometimes uh, you feel compelled to um, in a moment like this, you know, as I quoted in the speech from Jude, um, we snatch people from the fire. And I think we're at the urgency of the task where we need to snatch what 
snatch out of the fire where the Church of England is going. Fantastic. Well, and if you're watching live, we can see your comments on Facebook and YouTube, and I see quite a lot of uh, comments supportive of you, Ben, and, and congratulating you and thanking God for you and stuff. We've put some of them up on the screen as you've been talking there. Um, and if you have specific questions about Synod for either of these two Synod members, then do ask them as well, and we can try and get to them as well. Um, Sam, you intervened quite a few times in the course of the week, and um, and asked some questions and brought some amendments and made some speeches and things. Um, perhaps we can show a little clip of you in action posing a question to the Bishop of London, um, if we can, about that. Let's just try and do that if we can. Sam Margrave, Coventry 295. Does the language of, uh, does the language and rhetoric uh, referred to include an apology for saying that gay sex is a sin? That's asking I don't for think we, I don't, what, sorry? I, that's asking for an opinion. Yeah. Thank you. That's out of order. <laughs> so, you, you, uh, Sam, just explain what you're trying to do with that question, because I think... So, so, the Bishop of London in the press conference uh, that the Archbishops and Bishop of London had uh, said that this whole thing was about affirming, celebrating and blessing uh, relationships outside of marriage, uh, or what we would call marriage. And she said that some of those relationships are going to be sexual, that they bless. So, that leaves us with a question. The Bishop of London said that explicitly, did she? She said that explicitly in the press conference. Uh, I've put a video out there on my Twitter feed uh, if anybody wants to watch it or uh, contact me. But uh, the Bishop of London therefore raised a really important question in what she said. Uh, yeah. Are the bishops saying that sex outside of marriage is no longer a sin? Yes. And, uh, you, you know, I just wanted a, a simple answer to that question. And it, it wasn't really asking <laughs> for an opinion uh, because that question had been about what the apology is about and the rhetoric and language that's used. And there was a another thing asked about it. And I was simply asking for a clarification. The problem is we've made an apology, but nobody yeah. really knows what the apology is for. Yeah. And we're not even entirely sure who the apology is to. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've noticed, Sam, that um, a number of people asked written questions about changes of doctrine or whatever along these lines and the, the line in the answers that they wrote was to say that <clears throat> excuse me the doctrine of the church is unchanged and that is that holy matrimony is between a man and a woman and that sexual expression outside of that is not what god wants i can forget the exact phrasing but that the bishops recognize that there are people who take different views on it so instead of saying yes, this is doctrine, and we agree with it, and we abide by it. They're actually, in their answers, in their, in their very answers, they're saying, but there are real questions about this. And in other words, we might change it, and you're allowed to disagree with that if you want to. In fact, not only you're allowed to disagree, you're allowed to practice differently to that if you want to. And they've openly said they want to allow same-sex priests um, to engage in sexual activity, don't they, you know, with their partners, haven't they, Sam? So we need to be clear that th this decision by General Synod, we didn't have a uh, theological underpinning for any of it. Yeah. Uh, we were basically just told the bishops have looked at all of this and we need to trust them. Uh, and my concern is a lot of bishops have left their Bible on a bookshelf gather gathering dust for a really long time. So I don't have much confidence in the bishops to, to 
look at these issues and, and tell us what theologically is the, the truth. Uh, my biggest concern really about Synod is that uh, the bishops have decided that they're going to speak silence into all of these issues. In other words, they're not going to say anything because they disagree. But actually, at the same time, if, they, if I was a, a liberal and I was being silent, they would be outraged and silence would be a terrible thing because we've got to speak truth to power. Yet those in power are not speaking truth. Yeah, yeah. And... Um... Ben, do you think this will end up with a change of doctrine in, in the area of sexual morality or even marriage? Uh, 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 so I think it is a change. I think the um, right. a lot of the commentary in the run-up to Synod was about how the bishops are being very deceptive in what they're doing by proposing these prayers and claiming that they aren't a change in doctrine. Um, I guess what needs to happen now is looking at alternative routes where that can be challenged to see um, actually, so something that's happened is they they sought this legal advice, the Church of England, to prove that what they're doing is within the bounds of the teaching of the Church of England, but there's been alternative legal advice which clearly undermines that. And they're pushing this through with so much uncertainty and as Sam was saying, with no theological rationale um, and my understanding is the bishops saw the prayers and were able to discuss them only for a week or so um, before they were published. Um, and so the whole process has been rushed, um, which is one aspect of the criticism. I mean, uh, but I think complaining, criticizing process um, uh, only goes so far when what we're talking about are um, false teaching and false teachers and um, so a lot more is at stake than just, oh, not abiding by the right process or things being a bit rushed. We're talking about people's um, eternal mm -hmm. destinies. Um, and so um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. In terms of alleged next steps, they're saying they're going to revise the prayers and then they'll just go ahead and commend them, I think. And then they're going to produce this pastoral guidance, which is going to scrap, replace issues in human sexuality, which currently is the one which clergy um, need to claim to abide by, which says um, if you're in a civil partnership or a, you need to um, abstain from same-sex sex. Um, and whereas the it's likely that um, the new pastoral guidance will prob prob probably allow clergy to enter into civil marriage, a same-sex civil marriage, because of this distinction that they're making between holy matrimony money and civil marriage and will probably um, uh, permit um, same-sex couples to commit sodomy um, as a, a, even if they're clergy. Which is a massive change and how can they do that without actually changing the doctrine? It's, it's, that's playing with words isn't it Sam? How do they how do they get away with this? So, so just to, to explain to all your viewers uh, the General Synod is a legislative body so we make laws so we scrutinize and look at laws we're also there to, to give a voice and to represent people across the nation. And I would argue that one of the really important roles in the Church of England is we are holding the line, not just for the Church of England, but for other churches. And uh, we're holding back the tide of, of that, uh, that is coming to, to wash away religious freedom. So the Church of England decision is really important. But the problem is the bishops know that we can only discuss laws that are made. So instead of making laws or changing laws, 
they're keeping the laws the same, but changing the teaching. So they're saying the rules are one thing while doing it something else. And I think we really need to challenge that as a synod, because uh, whatever side of the argument you're on, the fact is synod has been sidestepped and the bishops are playing politics with the Church of England. And it's a really worrying situation now where we have bishops and senior people in the church uh, confusing what the message of the Bible and the church's teaching is. And uh, I don't trust the legal advice that was given by the church because they're too closely linked. Uh, I think we need somebody independent now to, to look at the legal advice and to inform Synod whether uh, what we've been told is correct. And hopefully in July, some of that will happen. Yeah. And, and I agree with Ben as well that, uh, that the fact is that the answer to this isn't just a complaint about process. What we need are more voices uh, standing up for biblical truth. Because, you know, God's word is the most powerful thing that we have, God's authority in God's word. And we need to, we need to be speaking up and uh, preaching the truth. And hopefully then the bishops might hear what God's got to say. Because at the minute they're absolutely dismissing it and they want us to effectively be uh, the House of Commons. They think that we're in the House of Commons, not in the House of God. I can see, um, I just want to get onto the vote a minute, the, you know, how the votes went. Okay, and I can see a question here from David Wood um, on YouTube saying, will we get to find out which way our local bishop voted? Ben, do you know the answer to that? Yeah. yeah. On, I think it'll be published in a few days. So only right. four bishops voted against it. So because of how many? Sort of, how many? Uh, Sam might know better than I. 35, 40? I think that, yeah, I'm not, I can't remember the, number, the exact numbers. I know there were four, I think there were four against, and then there were some, or there might be more than that against, and then there were abstentions. I, I mean, there were a lot of votes, but the, the really important thing was that all the votes were recorded. And I think that, you know, I and others asked for that. And it was really important that, you know, people are accountable for the decisions they made. I yeah. put forward a, uh, I put forward an amendment that affirmed the teaching of the church about Canon B30, which is about marriage being between one man and one woman. Yeah. And the bishops, uh, well, most of them voted against it. They, they tried to use well, me. i got the here for clarity. So uh, 36 bishops voted for the change. Um, four votes against, as Ben said, and there were two abstentions. And what you're saying is we'll find out in the next couple of weeks exactly who voted which way. Is that right? Yeah. And I, I would urge people to write to their bishop, to call their local bishop uh, if they voted the wrong way and to make their views known. Yeah. So it's and interesting. It, that was a, massive, I, a massive majority in the House of Bishops. It was like, you know, yeah. more than 75 percent, probably 85 percent plus 90 voted. I actually think that's probably the one of the biggest disappointments of the whole thing um, is the fact. So everyone was sort of, oh, how amazing it is that the Orthodox bishops have published their paper a week or two ago where they say marriage is between a man and a woman. But that paper didn't say anything about the prayers and the blessings and didn't say anything about false teaching. And it's likely that some evangelical bishops have voted for this. And how do we get to this position then where where you've got like you know roughly 90 percent of bishops who support blessing same-sex relationships i mean i mean aren't the bishops meant to be the most educated and the most conservative and the the best theologians in the church well how what, what's happened here 
Well, I guess it's it's partly to do with um, the sort of verbal gymnastics that people are doing. And so uh, one of the things that the bishops claimed when they first published their prayers of love and faith were that these are blessing people, it's not blessing relationships, and it doesn't necessarily endorse relationships. Um, but all the other media interviews and comments being made about how this is good and how we need to celebrate um, and honour the virtuous aspects of same-sex relationships makes it clearly shows what's actually going on here. It's blessing same-sex relationships. Um, but I think some of the bishops are trying to say, oh, no, 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 it's not really that. And also, I suspect some bishops might say, let's, we're, they're still in the mode of, we're trying to appease as long as, you know, and compromising as much as possible until, until, and then when there's gay marriage, that's when isn't we that, really Isn't that stuff. worshiping God of unity instead of the God of the Bible? We're saying, you know, we, we, we'll compromise because unity is matters more than truth. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, um, you know, Jesus in his letters in Revelation, in the words in Revelation says, you know, because you tolerate Jezebel and her teaching, yeah. um, I will punish you. I mean, one of, one of the big one of the big problems that, that I've got, and not everybody will agree with me, but I'm really concerned that a number of evangelicals uh, are proposing that we effectively have two churches in one, where we have a kind of compromise position where we have a, a separate province for, uh, originally it was for those who wanted same-sex marriage, and now it's potentially for those who are orthodox. But my concern with that is that effectively we're allowing there to be a plurality of truth if we go mm. down that road. And I think mm. part of the problem is that some bishops are hopeful that there will be a compromise. Whereas, you know, I just don't believe that God's authority or God's word is, is up for a negotiation. And yeah. uh, what we need is people to really stand up for the truth. But I think there's a lot of politics going on behind the scenes here for a kind of settlement. And so they didn't want to rock the boat, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I I just want to play um, Rebecca Hunt's question to the bishop about the trans language because I found this shocking as well. Because you know they're using this language of sex assigned at birth, and then when asked about this, the bishop hasn't got a clue. Let's just let's just let's just play that clip if we can, please. Rebecca Hunt, Portsmouth three eight six. Thank you very much for your answer. Um, uh, my question is. Um, how has the decision been made to use the ideological language of sex assigned at birth in this answer uh, when the facts are that sex is determined at conception and observed at birth? Uh, I don't know the answer to why, we've, why we chose that. Uh, that's the honest answer. I don't know why we, didn't, why we did it that way around. Please, could you write to me to confirm the answer? Uh, we, uh, certainly, uh, we'll do something in writing, certainly. I find that astonishing. Like, this bishop, you know, he's, he's obviously not even thought about this question. He's, he's got no idea what the language is he's using and, and that the assigned in birth is obviously trans-ideological language. But Sam, what do you think of that? I mean, one of the amendments that I proposed was actually to remove the T the uh, Q and the plus symbol. Uh, and that's because of in living in love and faith, there isn't enough exploration of these issues. The, the, uh, the bishops and members of staff at Church House have been honest that they didn't look at uh, things like trans ideology or queer theory 
uh, that they only mention them in a fleeting breath. And yet we're making this huge apology for something that we, we haven't looked at. And we don't know what we're making an apology for. Uh, and I'm really, really concerned because I know as well, if I were to say that, uh, a fee, you know, a, a woman is an adult human female, I would uh, get a lot of uh, hate and abuse uh, by members of the church. And that that's where we are today. And I think that, you know, we're in a world post-truth is what I'm going to call it, uh, where we're just giving people whatever they want because we hope that they will keep quiet. So we're placating the political activists. And uh, I'm really concerned because what, what does this mean when it comes to children? Uh, are we uh, suggesting that it's okay to mutilate and medicate children? Or uh, do we believe that those with gender dysphoria need counselling? You know, it, it isn't mm. clear what mm. we accept in mm. the church anymore. Mm. I, I see a question here from Sarah Walker. It might just be good to answer this question on Facebook. Um, question, what have they actually voted for? Blessings and prayers for all people is fine, but they actually blessing straight endorsing homosexuality now and saying it's acceptable out of God. It's very unclear. Do you think do you think that's right? Is it confusing, Ben? Uh, I think it's confusing in the sense that there's been lots of mixed messaging about what it is, but the reality is these are prayers of blessing for same-sex couples which are to be celebrating and rejoicing in homosexual relationships. So it, it and then they, they say it doesn't mean that you approve of the relationship, but the whole context with which they've done this is we want to celebrate people's same-sex relationships. And so, yes, it's unclear. And that there, there's some work that I think they're going to do on what blessing actually is. What does it mean to offer a blessing? What does it mean to bless? This, this includes blessing same-sex so-called marriages, doesn't it? So it, yeah, it's... yeah, well, they've made a distinction between holy matrimony and civil marriage, mm. which means, so then they're, they're basically saying the existence of civil marriage doesn't contradict the teaching of holy matrimony in the church. Mm. So it all feels a bit incoherent and that they're just pushing this through they're pushing this through because they don't they don't think they can get a full vote for something bigger i mean i i really object to the the term faithful relationships when it comes to those who aren't married one man and one woman who are married because mm. while they might be faithful to each other it's not being faithful to god mm. and i found that what the bishops are doing is really duplicitous it's really deceitful because they're they're creating a framework that allows to have effectively marriage in church, just not call it marriage. Mm. Uh, and we're going to see uh, people in, you know, wedding cars turn up, uh, flowers down the aisle, uh, prayers for their rings, prayers for them, uh, and the stages of their relationship. So, uh, you know, this, this looks like marriage. Uh, so as, as uh, many were saying at Synod, if it uh, walks like a duck and talks like a duck, Maybe it is a duck. Mm, mm. So um, what's interesting to me is that although an overwhelming majority of the bishops voted for this um, this, this proposal, the blessing same-sex relationships, in the clergy it was much closer. It's like 111 for and 85 against and three exemptions. And then the laity it was closer again, 103 for, 92 against, only five abstentions. So it seems the further away you get from the bishops, the more likely you are to be sounds is that right then yeah well it seems to be the case that sadly um well i think in one sense there needs to be a sense a bit of you need to be willing to compromise to be made into a bishop but also being made into a bishop 
um, I think causes compromise. Um, now, there are faithful bishops. Um, Bishop Jill Duff spoke up against the motion. So she actually gave a speech against the motion. I guess we'll see what the, the voting results are and find out who those four, four are. But there is a sense in which I think evangelical, you know, evangelicals who become bishops have, have in many ways compromised, which has been um, disappointing. One of the one of the real problems in the church that I've raised for a long time is that the gatekeepers, effectively political activists, have taken over gatekeeping within the church. Whether that's who can be ordained, you know, they'll reject people like Calvin Robinson, but welcome the Reverend Bingo. Uh, at the same time, uh, when it comes to bishops, the CNC, which is the Crown Nominations Committee, uh, was really controlled by liberals. So they appointed liberal bishops. And this has been a, a long project that we're now seeing the fruition of, where it's a takeover of the Church of England. And so I'm really concerned that, that that's why we're getting uh, bishops and clergy holding the positions they do, because a lot of them are political activists. Uh, I wish they hadn't come into the church at all, and they had just stood for election somewhere else, uh, but they're using the pulpit for their own political agenda. And uh, this isn't theological, it isn't biblically based. And uh, the church has been infiltrated, and that's a genuine view of mine, that not everybody finds easy to accept. And I've asked for an investigation, uh, and, and you know people have just uh, not looked into it, but there's a lot of evidence that the church uh, of England has been used and taken over to be used in a kind of culture war uh, that's now being fought on the floor of Synod and in the House of Bishops. Mm -hmm. So um, here we are. I want to sort of move on now to sort of the reaction now, uh, where we go from here, um, following this this vote. It was very close, actually, in the, in the laity and, and, and quite close as well in the clergy. Um, so you know that shows a divided synod. Really, it was actually quite close, and it's you know there wasn't an overall majority for it in either of those houses. Um, so there's a real division here. How do you? What do you think the response is going to be now, Ben, and reactions that we've seen so far and so on? Um, I think it's going to be a tricky one. I mean, some Anglicans have already left a few years ago. I think many are wanting to stand united, but they want that united front. And the reality is, is that that can be quite tricky in trying to get everyone to where they need to be to really push back against the bishops um, regarding what they're doing. Um, GAFCON's coming up in a few months, and I gather there'll be quite a large English delegation there. Just explain um, what GAFCON is for some so, people. Yeah, GAFCON is the Global Anglican Futures Conference, um, which was, I think, largely headed up by, uh, by um, the Anglican Church in Nigeria, and I, uh, I believe also Sydney Anglicans. Um, which was really pushing back against the liberalisation in the Anglican, the wider Anglican communion, for example, um, the Episcopal Church of America. Um, we've now seen in the Church of Wales, in Canada, in Scotland, in various places like that, pushing back against the liberalisation there. Um, mm -hmm. And so they meet every five years, and so that's coming up in April. So I wonder whether the English delegation will be able to be united around a strategy there. Um, there's also the... Um, GSFA, uh, which is the... I, mean, I think GAFCON have now put out a statement saying that, um, or that the, 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 the Bishop of um, GAFCON, is it, um, Foley Beach, has said that Archbishop Canterbury can no longer be the Anglican Communion's first among equals. That's quite a strong yeah. statement from them. Yeah. Um, and I think the Global South also said that um, this basically impairs the fellowship of the Global Anglican Communion, which is 75% of the total Anglican Communion. 
um, yeah. represented by that Global South group, saying that um, this impairs the fellowship of the Church of England with the Global Anglican, which is quite a big repercussion that came immediately. I don't know whether the bishops really recognise that what would happen, yeah. but it's kind I, of big. I, I think it's good and it, and it's important to see that kind of public witness. The, the reality is, is here in England, people don't know who GAFCON are, people don't know who the GSFA are. And I suspect the bishops will kind of just carry on doing what they're doing. I mean, the global the GSFA, Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, I believe, called the Archbishop of Canterbury to repentance um, last summer because of his comments made at the Lambeth Conference for the appointment of the homosexual to the, the, the Dean of Canterbury. Um, and so that's 70, you know, the leaders of those 75% calling the Archbishop to repentance, that was months ago, and there hasn't been any response. So I suspect, um, the bishops and the archbishops think they can just get away with it and keep going. And um, Sam All Souls Langham Place, one of the biggest um, um, churches and faithful Anglican evangelical church in London, announced that they would withhold payments to the diocese after the Bishop of London uh, clearly spoke in favour of these proposals. Do you think other churches will do that uh, or um, should do that? I think what we need is a national coalition of people who are opposed to all <laughs> And that need, needs to be withholding funds. Uh, it needs to be uh, making sure that we communicate to bishops clearly that this isn't acceptable. And my real concern in all of this is that uh, that the you know those who are orthodox will split into two camps: those who want to allow a compromise position where you have two churches in the Church of England, and those who want to stand for the truth. And I think we need to be really firm. And stand for the truth because uh if, if the church of england goes ahead with this uh in my view the church of england becomes apostate and uh, I, I would i would have to leave the church of england i don't want that because you know we've got the inherited faith that's uh based on scripture so i think you know we've got to join together as a community of brothers and sisters and uh and really uh take our leaders to task it's incumbent it's our duty to stand up for god's word and god's authority so my my plea to people would be don't walk away let's walk together and and um then what's your thought there's a question here actually from paul brown um asking how the laity can uphold orthodox teaching in the church opinion. what would you what would your response to that kind of question be ben um well i guess uh, laity can be writing to their bishops, uh, laity can be supporting their clergy. I think clergy can often feel quite isolated on some of these issues and they may be surrounded by voices that um, normalise compromise. So I think laity in the Church of England should be coming alongside their clergy and encouraging them to step up and contend for the faith, contend for the gospel. Um, I believe, it, I, mean, I guess, thinking longer term... What would you, what would you like to see now, Ben? um i would like to see um churches break communion with their bishops withhold funds and basically begin ordaining in alternative arrangements um ideally as much as possible unless a bishop um blocks this in their own diocese i don't believe one should submit to a bishop who's promoting what's happened um that's going to be complicated to work out what that's going to look like in practice. But I think that's the conversation we need to start having. I would personally not encourage people to get ordained by a bishop in the Church of England um, unless they are 
opposed to what is happening. Um, I'd like to see evangelical bishops, Dalson bishops blocking this in their diocese. I'd like to see them stop making appointments, stop making liberal appointments in their diocese that they, they say we'll only take evangelicals in this diocese. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to happen um, at the moment. Well, I don't think that's going to happen at the moment. Um, but we need to be doing more work in consolidating evangelical influence, orthodox influence um, in, in, in our diocese and in the Church of England. I think we need to continue to be organized um, and strategic. I think we could get a majority on Synod in the next quinquennium. I think if we were better, better, I mean, I think this year was a much better organized campaign. So I was an evangelical candidate. I was endorsed by my Darsen Evangelical Fellowship. Um, I think we can be even more organized um, for next time. So if we begin working for that now, so the next election I think would likely be 2026. If we can begin thinking about that now, um, and begin supporting one another because some churches, you know, all souls can stop paying. Um, and, you know, all souls can probably, you know, in other churches as well, St. Helens have stopped paying. Uh, one or two other, I know of other churches in London that have stopped paying um, to be involved and, and get involved on these issues. Um, there are other organizations that, you know, that are doing some good work. Um, I think there's a reality of um, uh, we want to be united but there, there is a problem that some forms of unity within evangelicalism can lead to compromise. Um, and I don't want to bind people's consciences on what that means or what that looks like, but I do think we need to be careful about, okay, evangelicals need to stand together, but what does that actually mean? Um, as we've said, there are likely to be evangelicals who voted for this. So um, I think we, do, we, do, we need to be careful. Just one final plea, if I can, as well. We've got to remember that a lot of parishes that are really orthodox, that are really biblical and evangelical, many of them uh, don't have a lot of money. So while there are a lot of bigger churches that do, there are also a lot of churches in this nation who are keeping to God's word, but are really struggling. And I'm worried about the influence that bishops have over them uh, in relation to taking away resources from them. So, you know, we've got to pray for them. And we've got to try and find out who they are and support them. Uh, and we've got to work together. And I think it's really important to remember those, those <coughs> who are really struggling right now <clears throat> on the front lines. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, it's a momentous week for the Anglican Church um, globally and nationally. Um, to thank you, both of you, to Ben and Sam for your courageous and outspoken um and you know the way you really dealt with this and acted and so on fantastic stuff uh love to see more of that i know there are other people as well and um yeah we need to pray for those faithful anglicans that they make the right decisions and choices um in the weeks and months going ahead in this in this time um thank you uh so much for joining us thank you for watching um can i just we'll... make a comment yeah, though. um no i guess this has been a heavy week and a sad week and mm. a disappointing week. We do need to keep praying, praying for the bishops to repent, uh, praying for wisdom on this, but knowing that however bad it gets, um, God's still on the throne. Um, even when the church in Thyatira in Revelation 2 was compromised by the teaching of Jezebel, Jesus tells mm. the church to hold fast um, to what I have given you. Hold fast until I come, because the one who comforts conquers keeps my works until the end to him i will give authority over the nations and so these false teachers 
this wickedness, this false, this false teaching is going to expire. It's going to just be destroyed. Um, and God is going to give us the faithful authority over the nations. And so we have that to look forward to, however bad it gets. And so we don't need to be in despair. Um, we can still delight in God and continue to contend for the faith. Amen. Amen. Well, um, on that note, I'm going to end. Thank you all for watching and uh, engaging with this. Keep praying for the Church of England. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you very much. Bye.